to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the Hall of Famer, the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 57 here on the podcast, and today we welcome in assistant coach Micah Shrewsbury. And uh, Micah, welcome, first of all, welcome to the podcast, but also welcome back to uh, Purdue Basketball. I am really excited to be on the podcast. Uh, I'm kind of upset that this is episode 57, and I'm just now getting my first <laughs> shot to be on here. But 57 is better than not being on the show. So, love it. I'm excited about it. Excited about being back at Purdue and uh, spending more time with the Kliz. Well, I can tell you this. You're lucky you're back because now being on this show – you're uh oh you're uh um, you're gonna back get, the, you're gonna get the bump is what you're thinking yeah i'm talking about the bump the, the famous bump he's he's gonna get all this publicity and he's getting it very very early in his in his new in his new time back is what i'm saying so. there's a phenomenon out there mike is after you're on the podcast you just you get a bump in your life. Your social media numbers go up. Your uh, your life in general just improves tremendously. Yes, yes, yes. And there's a long list of people who want to get on the podcast that just haven't got the call, and they may might never get the call. That's all up and to. And would never complain about being 57. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I'm on here is because my neighbor is the producer of the show <laughs> <laughs> yeah most likely well uh, so yeah your second stint with the program and obviously we're here for uh was it two years previously two just years. the two years yeah. and then uh did you get the call to uh to head to the nba and we'll get into all that but i wanted to kind of um we'll start kind of as we do with most guests on the show and get into your roots and um a guy that uh, Indiana guy, but grew grew up in Southern Indiana, and then um, talk a little bit about that, and then eventually making the move to Indianapolis, right? Yeah, I I grew up in uh, Tommy Loose territory down in Jeffersonville, Indiana, right on the on the border there, and it was you know basketball central, and you know everybody loved their high school basketball team there and there's a lot of good talented players that came out of there so playing on the high school team was like the thing to do and uh, that's what I grew up like I wanted to play and be a Jeff High Red Devil (laughs) and uh, then we moved before uh, that happened so I never got to (laughs) I never got to fulfill that promise Um, but you know, growing up there was great, and you know we moved to Indy when I was in the seventh grade, and it's uh, it was it was different. It was different to say the least. So seventh grade, uh, about the time. What, at what age did you start? Because uh, you were you were a good basketball player um, in your uh, in your career. What uh, at what age did you? First of all, what age did you love the game, and then at what age did you start figuring out that you were pretty good at playing? I, you know what, I, I probably thought I was good really early. Um, we had this goal in like the bottom 
in our basement. It, it was a real basketball goal, but it was lowered. And that's where I like my buddies and I, we all played. We all went down there and did stuff. And, you know, when you live down there on the river, you know, you have three choices of schools to choose from. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like talking about this now because <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't pick any of the three schools, but you either cheered for Louisville, you cheered for Kentucky, or cheered for Indiana. And my mom was a Louisville fan, so I gravitated more towards them. And they won the national championship in 86. And after the game, I went out down out of my room was in the basement. So I went out to the basement. I was playing on that goal, and I just started dunking it like really hard. So you were you were never nervous, Purvis, I on the goal down there. Never <laughs> nervous, Purvis. Yeah. And I dunked it real hard like four times and tore the <laughs> the rim off the backboard. And uh, I thought I was the best player ever. I thought it was Purvis Ellison and it was me. And. Uh, <laughs> And then when I got to Indianapolis, I, I was like, hey, I'm just okay. <laughs> There's always a humbling moment in everybody's career where they're like, well, man, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And that's always a tough, uh, it's always a tough pill to swallow when you get to that realization. Um, but you're in the territory, as you mentioned, down there. And um, Cliz talks about it all the time that when he was at Paducah and being in that region and that's maybe something you and Cliz have in common is those Louis, the, that Louisville background. Because Cliz, didn't you say your favorite uh, favorite arena of all time was Freedom Hall? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I started, you know, in Paducah, and the first four years, I was a junior college announcer to one of the best junior colleges in the country, Paducah Junior College. One national title in '69. And so it was really highly thought of back then, and uh, and and then I then at that time we used to play. Um, you know, they didn't have uh, eligibility for uh, freshmen in college at that time, and this was in the late sixties, early seventies, and you you uh, and so because of that. Um, you know, you got to go to all these uh, games. I go to Louisville game as a, you know, as a, it'd be a, what would you call that? Um, we would play Louisville's freshman team, and then they would play that before their regular schedule game. So you were the and JV so, game, basically. Yeah, yeah, we're a JV game <laughs> yeah, actually. And, yeah. And what would happen is. You know, for three quarters of the game, there would be six people there, and then by the time you were getting close to eight o'clock, there was about fifteen thousand. <laughs> and I used to love that, you know. Yeah. So that was like really cool. So if you got a close game with the Louisville's team, and we did, I mean, we we used to beat most of the uh, those level teams and. Uh, so it, it was exciting for me and and so for that reason and only reason that became my famous arena well and then come and then coming up here you know joining coach katie and he was a western western kentucky guy 
also a big junior college guy, then that's how he and I meshed. I mean, there's no question about that. Yeah, that's a. I, I never thought about that, but there is a lot of ties with you and Coach in that regard with the his two years at Western and his junior college. That's the one thing about Coach Katie. People don't realize how long he spent in junior college and some of those lower levels like that. Oh, yeah. So, Micah, you uh, you get up to Indianapolis and play, start playing uh, high school ball at Cathedral, and you guys had a really good team. Boy, you got what, how many years? I know your senior year was really good. What were your other years like? Our our freshman year, we had a really good team, but none of us played. Um, we had a really good freshman class, good sophomore class, but it was like senior dominated, and they were really good went to the regionals and lost. Then my sophomore year, all those guys graduated. Our football team won the state championship and the guys that were gonna be seniors, none of them decided to play. Perfect. So <laughs> it was great. You know, everybody wants the opportunity early in their careers to, to play. And uh, so we started two sophomores and uh, three juniors. And we probably played the hardest schedule in the state, and we went five and fifteen. So that opportunity was, uh, yeah, it was fun. But uh, getting your brains beat in every night wasn't wasn't all that much fun. Uh, but we turned it around. And my junior season, uh, we had a really good, really good team. Uh, was state ranked and lost in the regionals to Ben Davis. And then my senior year, we lost in the regional championship to Ben Davis. Ben Davis had some really good teams back then and and uh, state titles and, and things of that nature. Of course back then it was one class, so everything was a little was everything was different back then. Um, so then you start wrapping up your high school career. Talk about your decision to play at the next level and how that went and the recruitment and that kind of thing. I mean there wasn't you know, I was just an okay player, so the recruitment wasn't that hard. I was you know, wanted to keep playing, wanted to stay around the game, and uh, I decided to go to Hanover, and it was close to where I grew up. Hanover's a beautiful campus right on the river there, there in uh, southern Indiana in, in Hanover, Madison area, and it actually uh, was a great experience. Because similar to your story about playing the freshman team, we had a, a JV team at Hanover. You know, because you bring in so many guys. And I didn't, I wasn't playing at the time, uh, freshman year, so I wasn't playing with the JV team. But they played, Kentucky had a JV team uh, when Rick Patino was there. So Kentucky was coming to play Hanover. And we had a, we had a gym, probably seats, I don't know what seats, maybe 4,000. And filled up, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) I we had practice I left went to the campus center to get dinner I came back and the place was absolutely packed nothing but Kentucky fans like like I don't know if they thought Patino was going to be coaching the team or you know Walter McCarty and and those guys are going to be playing but it was completely packed but they did end up uh, having some guys. So Nas Muhammad played. 
Cameron Mills, who ended up playing for their teams. Yeah. Oliver Simmons was a like maybe a McDonald's All American at transfer. He played, and uh, it was absolutely packed. It, the biggest crowd, probably Hanover history, to watch a oh, TV. We had the same thing happen to us, uh, and 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 what happened too with Louisville. Louisville come in, we get not as big a crowd at Kentucky, but Kentucky, the word would get out that uh, we were going to play Kentucky. It was on a schedule anyway, but the word would get out, you know, a couple of days before the game, and I mean, people would just line up around the streets. To, to come in and see just to get a look at the Kentucky freshman roster. And uh, there, there's, you know, they were always loaded with a bunch of players, but it was just amazing. And and that place would go, I don't know, Paducah probably, we probably seated 6,000, maybe 5,500, and had maybe one sellout crowd all year. And that's when we played Vincennes. Who was yeah. our our, yeah. our number one rival at the time, and usually ranked in the top five in the country, and we were too. And those those used to be big games too. But boy, when Kentucky come, you you'd have about three thousand people just sitting in the, you know, either on the floor or in the seat area. So it was uh, it was really exciting for me, and it was really my first look at. Uh, major college basketball because even though we weren't playing the big boys you got the feel of it well and uh, yeah and i don't think people realize uh i'm assuming kentucky maybe still has a jv team i know north carolina does and they have a uh, it's not a freshman team but they have a jv team for sure and i know that because uh, one of their i know the guy that coaches that and not a not a popular thing anymore, but um, they have a full schedule and bring people in and play, and it's uh it's kind of unheard of anymore. But not not many not many schools still do that. But that was a pretty big deal back in those days. Oh yeah, well Kentucky really had big. that uh, that team that we played. They had one more guy that's you know doing well for himself. Frank Vogel was on the team. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Laker wow. head coach yeah. Frank Vogel was on the Kentucky JV team. <laughs> wow, that's 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 pretty cool. So that's a good segue. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Another NBA guy, though. But um, so you get done at Hanover, and uh, did you know at what point did you know you wanted to get into coaching? You know, pretty early. Um, you know, I, I there I don't have a lot of interest. It's I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the most interesting man in the world. You're a simple, a simple fellow. <laughs> Very simple fellow. Um, I love basketball, and if you look at me, I love to eat. So those are my two interests. Um, but I knew early on in my career that I wasn't going to play after college, uh, but I wanted to stay around the game. So I, I wanted to coach, and Hanover has a lot of um, – we got a lot of guys in coaching. I was going to say that. That was going to be one of my questions. I am constantly amazed. You bring up like, oh, yeah, I, I, he played a Hanover. You're, and they'll be referencing, Michael will be referencing coaches at all levels. It'll be college, 
high school, junior college, all these guys, and, it, and sometimes he's recruiting one of their players. and be like, oh, I know him. I played with him at Hanover, or he played at Hanover, and it's it's mind-blowing how many guys. The, the amount of guys just in my four years that I, were the, that I was there that are coaching either small college, Division three, are coaching high school here in Indiana – it's it's crazy like you would think that that was like the major right <laughs> you guys coach. have you guys have a coaching major <laughs> it's what it seems like because it constantly in all of all the references you have to all these coaches it's actually pretty helpful in the business that I'm in to have Absolutely. all of these guys um, and they've all had a lot of success they've all had really good players um a few, you know, Brandon Hoffman at Silver Creek has won a state championship. I believe Stacy Meyer at Greensburg has won a state championship. Dave Benner is at Brownstown. He's either won or been really close. Um, you know, John Miller was a teammate of mine. He's the head coach at Hanover now, and he's been in the tournament a lot of years. So a lot of my teammates are stayed in it, and, you know, myself and couple of guys in my class are coaching so it's been fun to kind of stay around it with those guys and and help each other and watch each other and root for each other as we've gone through our careers so after afterwards your first stop after your playing days at Hanover talk talk through that and and kind of how you got that job and how you started getting into it basically I just really bothered Todd Sturgeon uh, <laughs> at Indianapolis, and you know I knew Coach Sturge. He he coached a couple of my teammates there at Indianapolis, and you know I was lucky enough to get on his staff and and learn from him. Um, I was a GA, but there was we had one full time assistant and me, so you know I, I got thrown to the wolves early in terms of really learning what you know what it took and. You know, I was I was young. I was 22. Uh, we had two guys, two or three guys on the team that were older than I was. Uh, we had a six-year senior. We had a you know we had Rob Hummel before Rob Hummel. We had a six-year guy. Yeah. We had a guy that had gone to like the military and come back and played in Division Two. So uh, I, I was young. I, I had no idea what I was doing, and I appreciate Coach Sturge for. Just helped me, helped me learn. You know, he Ian Brown was our assistant. Those guys just kind of showed me the way a little bit of like this is what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, if I if I wasn't doing what I was supposed to, then then they got on me and they got me corrected. And it was quite a learning experience, but it was what I needed at the time. Well, I think yeah. Well, you well, pardon me. The problem with you is you just haven't been with enough experienced coaches in your career (laughs) (laughs) yeah if only he could hook up with some guys who know what know the game a little bit yeah Yeah. i I think he could really take off if that ever happened (laughs) (laughs) he what one thing when i when you look back at the stops you've made mike is that i'm always i'm amazed at uh, and i said this to a i said this to a group of people the other night and i didn't I don't. I hate coming off as like the old person that says, you know, kids nowadays. But it just seems like now people want 
they they just think like, well, when I'm done playing, you know, I'll be an assistant for Purdue, or when I'm done playing, I'll you know, I'll be an assistant for the for the Celtics, or I'll you know, I'll just move into a front office spot in the league, or I'll uh, yeah, I'll just be an assistant coach at Cincinnati or whatever it might be, <laughs> and they don't realize like if you go through most of the coaches, head coaches and assistant coaches in high major Division One basketball, and you go through and look at their bios. There are so many stops along the way at so many places that half of them you've never heard of. And it is a long like grind at places where you're making next to nothing that you do it because you want to get into it, but for the love of the game. And then you just kind of progress and pay your dues. And it just seems like that doesn't register with some people. They're like, hey, is this, this is going to be a process. This isn't like snap your fingers and I'm on Purdue's staff. Yeah, no, that it's um, like if when I first started out, I, I was probably the same way. I, I was, hey, yeah, I'll you know I'll be assistant at Purdue, um, and I probably thought that was two thousand. I was like, yeah, probably about two thousand five. Yeah, I'll probably be an assistant <laughs> at Purdue, <laughs> not in two thousand twenty. <laughs> um, but it's hard and. You know, it's a really competitive business, and there are a lot of people trying to get in it. And I get emails or notes, you know, every day about people asking me, you know, about my journey and like, hey, what are some of the things that you can help me with and this and that or advice. And I tell them, you know, my journey's different than a lot of people's, um, but I would say you just gotta. Just put your head down and grind. And like, if you treat people the right way, and you you know, are, are you a pretty good person, and you work really hard, then things will probably work out for you. But you need a couple breaks here and there. Uh, you need something to happen for you. Um, and then, yeah, then then it might work out. But sometimes people don't get those breaks. Uh, but you got to enjoy where you are. You got to love where you are. And that's got to be your destination. If you're always looking ahead to what you're trying to get to, um, then you're not focusing on where you are right now. And you're probably not doing your best job at the job that you're at. Right. Yeah. We always call that mentally unpacking. Make sure you mentally unpack so you can, you're not, your head's not already under the next stop. So after Indianapolis, you move on to, what was your next stop after that? I went to Wabash College. Um, I was there for a year. I worked for Mac Petty, who's one of the, you know, greatest coaches. That, that's He's an icon. In this, he is. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, just the guys that I've worked for in this state, you know, playing for Coach Beitzel at Hanover and then working for Mac Petty at Wabash, working for Bill Finland at DePaul. Um, Scott, Todd Sturgeon, who's now a head coach at Floyd Central and uh, down in New Albany area, like those guys have won probably you know over 300 games, and I think Coach Beitzel, Coach Finland, Coach Petty, those guys are up in the fours in maybe 500 games. Like that's who you want to learn from. Yeah, uh, those are the coaches that. You know, had longevity in one place, and you know, Coach Finland's still there, and um, you know, they have great relationships around the state. They help you build those relationships around the state, and 
they give you the feel of this is how you should run the program. So then your first uh, step to Division One was that Marshall? Operations uh, Director at Marshall yeah. for a couple years? I was at Marshall for two years. Um, I finished as a GA at DePaul and <clears throat> we had a unbelievable run at DePaul and uh, that finished up and I was a GA there and I got my master's and I didn't have a job so I finished in I don't know maybe May or June uh, finished my master's the GA stuff was over and I didn't have a job and I was getting married that summer oh that's a good combo that's a yes. that's how you do it yeah so I got married August 9th I think I got the call from Marshall like August 4th or 3rd <laughs> I, I was like living in my I was living at my uh, father-in-law's house just hanging out just hoping <laughs> I applied for 8,000 jobs it had to uh, I sent a resume to everybody in the country and I finally got a break you know Coach Coach Jersey Marshall hired me and that was my first time working at a Division One school. And it was actually the first time that I'd left the state of Indiana. I'd been in Indiana my whole career, which is kind of unheard of. So the, how did the speech go? So, hey, Molly, um, pack up. We're moving to Huntington, West Virginia. <laughs> no offense to Huntington. I sure, sure, it's lovely. We took that job, and it felt like it was, you know, 22 hours away and it you could get in the car and get there in like four hours four and a half <laughs> so how was Huntington did you I mean what was going on at Marshall at the time was that had were they having football success at that point we had just missed it uh, so you missed Randy Moss and we missed Moss Leftwich yeah. Chad Pennington yeah. those guys okay um, they still you know they love football there and, and they get some good crowds but we missed all the big guys come through, so um, unfortunately, that wasn't good. And uh, basketball was—it was just okay. You know, Coach Coach Jersa had just gotten there, so we were kind of in a transition period. And um, you know, I—I just—I was a basketball ops guy, so I was learning what to do, what to do at that level. I was doing a lot of video work. Um, I was just doing basically whatever they needed uh, just to try and stick and make sure I did a good job. Yeah, and I think for our listeners who maybe not might not be as um, familiar with kind of the, the makeup of basketball staffs and everything, at that level, you're, you got to do everything. And there's like, like we're spoiled here at this level because we have a full-time video person, you know, an ops guy. We have different people that handle different things. And at that level, you could be doing anything. So learn, and, which is good and bad. It's it's probably bad for your wife because you probably didn't see her much. But it's good in terms of the experience you're getting. It was, well, yeah. yeah. It's good for your wife too because you learn how to do laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably that probably worked out well for the the honeymoon. <laughs> honeymooners and like uh, hey I'll uh, I'll see you after the season honey I know we're newly married but we're not going to see each other for about <laughs> six months here I this is so you know I'd worked at the division three level so I was used to doing laundry 
And you know, you know, after I so I left Marshall and I went to IU South Bend, and and I got a head coaching job there. And you know, I was one of those guys. I didn't. There were things I should have delegated, um, but I was like, hey, I'm just gonna get it done. I'm, I'll do it. Hey, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. No, you need to do this. No, I'll do it. And laundry was one of them. The <laughs> I, was, I, was the, I was the head coach. I had an office. It was right by the laundry room. So I'd grab the laundry and I'd bring it down and put it in my office. And, you know, most of the time I'd remember a couple of workers, they'd come through and grab it sometimes and do it. But there'd be days that I would just forget and then <laughs> we had practice at three o'clock or something. It's like two forty-five, and I turn around and look, and that laundry <laughs> from from the practice before is just sitting there. <laughs> and I would just push it down to the locker room, put it in there, shut the door, and walk out. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why the laundry smells like that. <laughs> Yeah, you're so you've got that in you that you feel like you have to. I mean, that's a. I think, I think that's a good trait to have. That certain guys, we all know who they are. But I mean, it's not just, it's not just unique to basketball. It's any walk of life. Certain people think they're above certain duties, and you're obviously not wired like that. Now, the clues, on the other hand, <laughs> how many times did you send your engineer out to get your food late night, Cliz? Uh, as often as I could, <laughs> and, and as often as uh, Gary was available, but but he was he was a special dude, man. Like you can't say that I was like that all the time because most of the people I uh, was, you know, junior college stuff like that, they just look at me and what do you got to say, man? And I was scared of mostly all the people that was in our program, so. I just did what they told me to do, but no, nah, but uh, yeah, uh, Gary Klein, my 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 longtime original engineer, who of course went on to fame with uh, with a great radio company, and uh, you know we don't kid him much anymore because every <laughs> time we go into a famous store, he he knows all the people that. Uh, run the damn thing so uh it's uh it's amazing and i found that out i i went and shadowed him one day like i was watching i've heard about all the things he's done out in las vegas and so i decided i was just gonna hang around with him for a day my goodness it's unbelievable yeah, he'd walk, into a, he'd walk into a shirt store. I mean, a, a high maintenance shirt store, one that I would never go into. <laughs> and, and he would go, and he'd say, uh, and the guy would come out, and Gary'd be fingering some shirts, and then the then the guy would say, the the waiter or whatever you call him, uh, he, he he'd come out and he said, Mister Klein, so good to see you, sir. I have about three or four shirts I'd love for you to try on. And that's when I knew he made it to the big leagues and I haven't. <laughs> yeah, because right those there. shirts probably took up four or five days worth of per diem for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, uh, back to your journey. And uh, you're uh, at South Bend. Um, 
head coach um, in the, you know in the in the big chair, and then uh, your stop after that. So, I had, I was in South Bend for two years, had a really good experience, and just felt like we had built some momentum and, and started um, taking that in the right direction. And we had some really good recruits coming in. We had some guys that ended up having great careers there. Um, but after my second year there, and we go to the Final Four, and um, my wife and I are in Atlanta, and we're hanging out, and we're watching games. And, you know, when you're down there and things are happening, you kind of notice that, you know, friends of yours are a little mysterious. So um, I was watching the I was watching the game, uh, the Final Four games with a lot of Butler guys. So, you know, Laval Jordan and uh, Joel Cornette, Brad Stevens, Matthew Graves, all these guys are sitting around. We're all sitting watching the game. And, you know, one kind of leans to the other and they say something and then the whole group just gets up and leaves. And, you know, red alert, <laughs> like uh, something's going on here. and. You know, on the screen, you know, that afternoon during the games, it says Todd Licklider is taking the job at Iowa. Uh, so those guys got up and sprinted out and kind of huddled up to see what was going to happen. And we ended up going home the next day on Sunday. And then on Monday during the national championship game, it kind of scrolled across the screen, I think, that Brad Stevens was being hired at Butler. So... Brad and I were close. We were friends. Uh, we'd known each other for a long time, and uh, it was an opportunity that he said, "You know, I'd love to have you, you know, on staff." And so I went to join him. So I left the head coaching position and went to a basketball operations position. Um, you know, because you know, because it was him, because it was in Indianapolis, which is my hometown, and. It was back at the Division One level, and it was another shot. But like I said, you know, things have to happen. Like, right? You, you have to get lucky every once in a while, and that was probably the first time, um, or one of the times that things just kind of happened for me. Uh, linking at the up right with, time. The, yeah, linking up with Brad is a pretty good. Uh, thing of uh, of uh of thinking where you're going somewhere because he's considered now uh might be the best coach in the country at at, at several levels so that had to be something it's, I, I would it's worked imagine, out <laughs> i would I, I would just imagine what do you do now with brad do you, do you bother calling him much or if you need to know something uh, I'm sure he's willing to pass along the information no definitely and you know so I worked for him for four years at Butler and then six years in Boston so you know ten years together and it's not like you know it's to the point now we were you know we were close before he hired me and now like we're beyond close so we're more 
like our families are are really family. Um, like when we were in Boston, that that's who we had. Like we had every holiday together, and we spent a lot of time together. So I, you know, I just kind of lean on him for advice. Just ask him questions. Um, you know, st- steal some plays every once in a while from him. <laughs> uh, but. You know, we don't really talk basketball much. Uh, we we really, when I talk to them now, it's it's more family. It's more, what are you guys doing? And um, and then you know, if I if I need to lean on him, you know, I know that he's there. When you were when you get you you came here for a couple of years, you guys had the great runs at Butler, um, and then you get the call from Coach Painter. Um, I remember when you came up. I remember your first day up here. Um, you came up, and I think you went around the road because it was a recruiting period right away. And uh, you were with us two years, and then I remember seeing the ticker, kind of as you just as you just described when Brad got the job with Butler. Then I saw the ticker and the breaking news when he got hired by the Celtics, and that kind of out of the blue um, for a lot for a lot of people. And then um, you know Brad gives you a call, and and away you go to Boston. And um, what, what, how was that transition? I mean, you go from, you know, the college level to all of a sudden coaching pros and first time Brad coaching pros as well. Um, how big a change, how big a shock was that? How big a learning curve was that? It was different. Um, and, you know, things had happened in here and it was about to be a recruiting period here. Right. So I went um, to help cover. I went for the first day. I went on the road. I remember going down to Carmel and sitting watching a few games uh, just so to help Jack and Greg and Coach uh, kind of cover that first day. And then I you know, ended up leaving and, and going out to Boston. It was during summer league, so nobody was around the offices so I, I was just kind of by myself just trying to figure things out <laughs> I, I didn't really know what to do you know brad had told me to start watching our players um and really trying to learn you know what they do and different things like that but you know we f- spent a few weeks kind of putting the staff together and um, meeting with each other and learning it but you know we were both new to the NBA, so we leaned on the older guys that we had. And we had a guy named Ron Adams, who's a great assistant coach. He's with the Warriors now. We had him for a year. And I just remember standing on the court, and we'd go over a lot of the defensive things. And we were trying to implement some things we did at Butler. And we'd show Ron something, and he'd say, nope. That's not going to work. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's check that off. All right, Ron. Now, let's say we're doing this, and we're going to close out here, and the ball screen's coming. We're going to do this. Nope. That's not going to work either. <laughs> so we learned pretty quickly. Um, I, I really learned from him. I, I just I just sat back and watched um, and stayed quiet because – you know, the, the one of the big things was trying to 
you have to get in the good graces of the players. Right, right. They see you as a college coach and not an NBA coach, and which is crazy because they had all been in college. Right. They come yeah. from college. Yeah. But, um, but they see you as a college coach. So they want to know that you know what you're talking about. You know what's going on. And then they'll kind of open up and let you in. Um, and they have some room. They have more room to challenge you guys at that level. Like they, <laughs> yes, not, they do. Not <laughs> a lot of challenging going on at the college level. I remember we had uh, PJ Carlissimo out here to do a clinic one year, and we got to go to dinner with him. And he was sharing some stories when he first got the Trailblazers job and had been the coach at Seton Hall for all those years. And Dick Harder was his assistant, longtime NBA assistant. He was a great defensive mind. And Dick Harder got his – he had been to college level way back in the day at Penn State and Penn and those kind of places. And uh, he said one of the first practices, P.J. gets mad and he tells him to get on the line. And he said he looked over and Dick Harder's just laughing. And he looked at him like well, – he goes, hey, you know, we need to be unified here. I mean, this is not acceptable what they just did. And he goes, no, I'm laughing because you're going to run them. He goes, we don't run anybody at this level. He goes, come on, coach, you can't do that. He goes, you want to lose these guys in the first day? So a little bit different element at that at that A little level. bit different element. And it things were going a million miles an hour. Like the lingo is different. Like what they call different things and – and everybody in the NBA will call it that. Yeah. So, I mean, it took me just trying to figure all that stuff out and figure out, you know, what they're saying, what that means. And like I said, it was a lot of being quiet, watching, learning, listening. And then you start to figure it out. And we had a team when we first got there that was um, – you know they they had just traded Garnett Pierce, mm-hmm. and uh, they traded those guys to the Nets. So in return, <clears throat> we got uh, Keith, a bunch of draft picks. Keith, <laughs> we got a bunch of draft picks: <laughs> Keith Bogans, Gerald Wallace, Marshawn Brooks, and Chris Humphreys. <laughs> Throw them <laughs> in, into the mix with Rajon Rondo, Jeff Green. Courtney Lee, Jared Sullinger. Uh, so we had had guys that were that had been in in the NBA and had been around it. So they were older looks, guys. And looks to me like a powerhouse. <laughs> <laughs> that that group, Cliz. Um, we had a really good college season. <laughs> We, we we had a great college season, as I like to say. We won uh, 25 games, which would have probably put us in the top 25 would in NCAA basketball. Yeah. We would have been a top, top four, four seed. seed. Yeah. Maybe got us a, a, a Sweet 16 appearance. Um, in the NBA, that got us early vacation. <laughs> well, you guys got it going. I mean, you, you had some good success, and uh, – We've talked about this um, a little bit, but the difference in the seasons, you know, obviously the big difference is you're not recruiting, but um, the the grind of the NBA season, the travel and the, you know, the West Coast swings and that kind of thing. Um, How did you transition to that? And did you end up liking it, not liking it? It was the first season. So, you know, they've, 
changed things a lot um, since that first season. But we played eight preseason games. <laughs> eight preseason games. And then an 82-game season. Wow. And, you know, we were terrible. I mean, we won 25 <laughs> games. And my math is awful, but we played 82. So that means we lost uh, 57. Does that, does that make that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, uh. when the season was over, I think we, we got finished. We did our exit meetings. And it was spring break for our family. So we just came back to Indy and, you know, kind of hung out with our family here. And I just remember I was so wiped out from the season. I could have slept for a month. I remember you came up. I think you came up to campus because I remember seeing you. And, yeah, that's that's got to be a real... All that travel, I mean, and people don't realize, you know, it's the night before, it's getting back late, so really each game is two nights. Yes, yeah, because you're always gone the night before, and then, then you, you know, the hard games are the game, day off game, or day in between games, so you're, you just feel like you're bouncing around, or you're never home, or you're always constantly living out of a suitcase, because... You could come home for like a game and then you're right back on the road. There was a few seasons ago, we were in the midst of like, you'll have a couple of really hard months. So maybe December was our hard month. Um, so we were gone on the road almost exclusively during the week. But we had a Friday home, so we had a home game every Friday in December. But it would only be a single home game. Oh, and then right back out. And then right back out. That was the worst stretch. It was like, just leave us out here. Yeah. Because you don't want to go home for that one game and then bounce right after the game or a Saturday the next day. And Those are the hard ones. Like, you want to get home so bad, but then you, you get home and it's like, all right, guys, it's good to see you. Well, as you, as you were in the – with the Celtics for those six years, I know, you know, you stayed in touch with, with us and the program and especially with Coach Painter. And um, what was what was the factor you think that was that kind of told you, all right, it's time to get back into the college game and brought you back here now? Yeah, I, I, I always considered myself a college coach. Like I, when I was in college as a player and getting ready to start working – like that's what I saw myself as. I never like dreamed of going to the NBA. I never thought I'm gonna try and work myself up to be an NBA coach. Like the NBA happened um, just because the guy I worked for previously got a job in the NBA and I knew it'd be a good experience for me. Uh, but eventually I would wanna come back to college. And you know, I was there six years, which which feels like an eternity, uh, right. the amount of games that we played. And um, I was getting to the point in my career where I, I had to be two feet in the NBA. either I had to stay, stick it out, and see what happened, or I needed to be two feet in in college. Like I couldn't continue to work in the NBA and aspire to come back to college. I had to figure out one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, um, that makes sense. 
and Coach Painter, you know, I had some opportunities to come back, but uh, this was the right opportunity because of, you know, Coach Painter, because of who he is, uh, being here previously, knowing how he runs his program, knowing how he treats his players, knowing how he treated me and my family. Like, he's a guy you want to work for. And what he's done with this program, like where he has it now, what he's done for the other guys that have been on staff, you know, in terms of helping those guys get jobs. Like, he is – he fights for his players and he fights for his assistants um, to do well and have success. Yeah, we've talked about that maybe a time or two on this podcast, and and, uh, it is one of the things that Coach Painter is – I think he's the best in the country at trying to get his guys opportunities and – and networking and making phone calls on their behalf to try to get uh, jobs. There's been people all know about the you know the Consul Martins and the uh, the Paul Lusk and the Greg Garys and the guys who go out and get the jobs, but Rick Ray's, but they don't necessarily know how many other times he had made phone calls or how close they were in, a, in other uh, situations. So um, I should I should mention Jack Owens too because. If not, he'll probably have somebody call over here and complain <laughs> about. It. Um, so I, you know, I got to say it's great to have you back, and uh, I, and you know, a lot of us had stayed in touch with you there, and, and especially Jack because he was so infatuated with the NBA. So I know he was always blowing you up, um, and it, and it's been, uh, but it's been, it's been uh, the transition back has been seamless, and I just for our, that, so our fans know, like when Micah came back aboard. Uh, this summer, you know, was right back into things and getting on the road and recruiting. And um, it really feels like uh, he picked up right where he left off. There's been very little transition, which I think is exactly what what coach was looking for. And, um, you know, you're coming back to our program at a really good time, uh, good young team uh, with a lot of pieces. And maybe just kind of let us know your thoughts on just kind of what you're stepping back into. Yeah, uh, it's I actually had a friend, you know, I I I'd accepted a job, and then we were in the playoffs. So, you know, there was a long kind of waiting period in between there. Um, Might be the only time we were rooting against you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we weren't. But we weren't losing sleep if you guys got beat either. <laughs> well, once we got to the second round, you didn't have to wait that long. <laughs> um, but, you know, during that time, you know, a couple of guys had committed so you know there some of my friends were like why does Purdue even need another assistant coach <laughs> they're doing great without you so that that my whole thing has been don't come in here and mess this up <laughs> so it, it's been you know it's been great to be back um, it's been good to be around the guys that we have on the team um the older guys who have kind of been through the wars a little bit and now seeing the young guys come in and really are, are kind of learning what they're doing but fighting at the same time to kind of earn their way into the program and you know that's exciting like that's exciting for me and um, you know everybody's invigorated when they go to a new spot and when they get to a new job and 
you know, I, I'm the same way. I've been here, but Purdue is not the same place as when I no, left six years ago. No, it isn't. It's not. So I'm coming back to a new job. I, I think, I guess I'm, you know, kind of glad that I moved offices. So Brandon's in my old spot. So it does, you know, feel like you're going to a new place. And I'm trying to learn, you know, like our players, you know, I'm a freshman again. There's a lot of new staff walking around that yeah. that I have. I'm sorry. I, hope, I don't know. If, how many people listen to this? We usually get about 3,500 downloads a show. Well, if any of the people that are downloading work in the athletic department, I'm sorry if I do not know your name yet. <laughs> <laughs> I will eventually. I will learn it. Uh, but there's a lot of new people here. Well, when you and I talked on the phone in March, and this is when it was, um, you know, you were leaning on pulling the trigger to do this, and Coach had talked, you and Coach had talked, and you were kind of just making sure on some things. I said, I said, Micah, this is this is not the Purdue you you left six years ago. I said we are in a completely different place, everything from facilities and obviously a lot of new faces and everything, but even the town and the campus and the community. Um, it, it's in a completely different place now. And um, I think anybody that comes back to campus, and we've talked about this before on the show, that anybody that comes back to campus, um, be prepared for something, to see something new. And you could be gone for six months and come back, and there's going to be a new building, a new, some new feature um, here in the community, and it's a really good time uh, to be at Purdue. And the quiz is still here. And the only and one of the few constants is the Cliz is still behind the mic and so. getting better. Yeah, yeah. You, you sound good. Um, health is good, no, and and no, uh, health is health is really good. And we're excited uh, excited to get you back up here in the this fall. I know you're now you, you were as we tape this. You're in uh, sunny Florida, and uh, we're anxious to get you back here um, to town. Yep, and I'm anxious to get back, and um, and you know everything's gone so well with me; it's kind of hard to believe. So, but it was all that way with the basketball team last year too. I had a lot of people ask me over the winter, um, uh, "What what did you think of last year, and where would you put it in the 42 years you've been here?" And I said, you know, I to be honest with you, I'm not all too sure that I wouldn't put them right at the top. Yeah, uh, there was so much excitement over our ball club from the whole fan base to everything because I think they were surprised, and and those kids played so hard. And then of course Carson had an incredible two day run in the tournament, and. And you just knew that uh, it was a new era for Purdue basketball. And I, I called the coach up after that, after those games. And I had, uh, I think I told you this before, uh, Elliot, but I had Don Fisher call me from Indiana. And he said, I know, Larry, that you're really, really, really upset about not advancing. You were one second away from the Final Four, and I know how much it meant to you. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it as I listened. And he said, uh, it, it's just amazing. He said, but I'm going to tell you what. And he said, I've been in this league for 50 years. He said, 
I don't ever remember a time uh, that you're going to feel even, and I've done three national championship games, you're going to find out that you, you called one of the greatest games ever played in this tournament. And, uh, and so don't, don't take it lightly, man, because that's something that few people could say that they witnessed or even saw, even though you had 15 or 20,000 people there. Yeah. So, well, and, so it, that, and that, that, I think that enthusiasm has just continued to, yeah. I don't think that that wave has uh, has died down much. Um, you know, there's a. I'm I'm really anxious for Micah to walk back down that tunnel again and just to see some. Oh, of, yeah. Even how yeah. Mackey's evolved in uh, in the six years he's been been gone, and um, you know, we just made the announcement yesterday that season tickets are sold out. Um, there'll be a few mini packages available, and there'll be a, a very few um, very few opportunities for some single-game tickets here and there, but for the most part, uh, we're going to have a sold-out Mackey all year long, and uh, the momentum just keeps uh, continuing, and um, it's just, as we as we mentioned, it's a, it's a really good time, and we're really excited about, uh, about what, what uh, these guys are going to do for us this coming season, so... About that time now for the final four with uh, with Micah Shrewsbury here on the Boilerball Podcast. A uh, quick reminder, if you have any feedback, please pass that along at boilerballpodcast at gmail.com, boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners. And uh, we'll, with that being said, we'll start the final four here with Micah. And first of all, Micah, what is your favorite music or go-to music of choice? I am a uh, 90s rap guy. Um, so we would go old school, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. I thought that was hard back then. I thought it was really tough. <laughs> so, um, well, that's the rap that I know. I mean, I don't know a ton of rap and I don't know. I certainly don't know modern stuff, but, um, that's in my wheelhouse and I, I can get down with that. Um, I'm not sure Cliz is rolling around in his Jeep listening to that stuff <laughs> probably not <laughs> I, I have um, you know I have a son that's a freshman in high school and then you're around a bunch of these NBA players that are still young like really young so I've heard a lot of the music <clears throat> that um, they listen to now and that you know I'll, I'll have it on in my car or whatever but it's not quite like the no, and that's the only way I can stay in touch with through my kids. Like you know, they'll pull up songs here and there, and it's the only way that I'm in any way, shape, or form can relate to the stuff that my our players listen to. Because I walk in the locker room, and that's always my question: Who's this? Who's this? Oh, okay, all right. And I know the names. I just I couldn't match the songs up with them if I tried. Question two here on the final four is: What is your favorite book, or maybe a good book you've read recently? Like I said, I don't have many interests. <laughs> when you said that, I thought about this question. I thought, oh boy. That is a good question. Uh, we've set him up. Um, let's see. I just tell me read a book about 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if any of my, uh, if any of your listeners, Elliot, or people that are up with current events, I would say, uh, the Bible is a really good book, and I don't want to get into specifics, but it's a it's a really good book. Clay, you read anything recently? 
Well, I should have been reading the Bible. I, that's <laughs> that's what I should have been reading. But um, the uh, I started I started one the other day. Oh, oh, it was the Bill Simmons book the I got from Coach uh, Painter and uh, Encyclopedia Encyclopedia Basketball, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's the one that he came out with right before he ran into some trouble with the networks. And uh, but I don't know for sure. I've heard that's a must for any basketball people out there. Haven't read oh, that yeah. one myself. I have a well, lot of books it, on my shelf. I noticed. Well, yeah, that, but yeah. but but this is tough. This book is uh, really tough to think about ever completing because I mean it's about fifteen inches wide, and uh, there's a page behind every one of those things, and uh, and I can read pretty quick, but I don't know that one. I don't know if I want to tackle that one or not. Well, there's also it's also one of those books where some stuff can get outdated with current oh, yeah. with current players. It's like when you're playing the Trivial Pursuit game and a sports question from the '80s comes on, and you answer like, "Wait a minute, he's not the all-time leader in this category." So. There was a Jackie McMullen wrote a book, um, and they made it into kind of a mini series last year and they were showing different segments on ESPN and I, my wife bought it for me and I will read it if I, I don't know where it is I, I need to find it uh, but I enjoyed watching the segments that they had on ESPN and it was all those stories so it, it was great it was you know old NBA new NBA and there was a few college things mixed in. Was, I can't help any of the listeners with the name of that book. Was Jackie around when you were out there? She was. She was around a lot. Um, she seems like a really cool person. Yeah, really good. Uh, she was always, you know, really good to us and good to me. And um, it's been, you know, cool to like develop a relationship and then see her on TV and listen to some of her stories and read them. Well, we'll get our uh, assistant producer, Sylvia Booker. Uh, we'll get, we'll maybe get Jackie's number from you, Micah, and we'll get, try to get her on the podcast at some point. That would be really cool. Uh, question three here on the final four. If you could wave a wand and do any profession starting tomorrow, what would it be? Any profession. Probably still just be doing this. Other than coaching. <laughs> Other than coaching. I would be a professional um, television watcher. Movie critic, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some kind of critic, uh, food taster. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, if... I don't know. I would probably do a podcast with you guys. If I could just sit around and watch sports and then talk about it, give you, my opinion, and it doesn't have to be right. If you keep coming up with these answers, we're going to need more than that. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the uh, a culinary um, critic would be really cool. And uh, we were we were somewhere recently. My wife and I with some friends, and we were talking about that. And we brought up, and you might remember this guy that your Indianapolis guy, Reed Duffy, was the, the, yeah. for Channel oh, Six yeah. down yeah. there. Reed was a famous uh, 
culinary critic for Channel 6. He'd walk into restaurants and do a, I think he did a column two in the Star, but that was, um, but that you would, know what? That'd the, be pretty cool. The uh, local TV stations, though, anymore, they don't, there's too much, too much social media and too much where you can get all that stuff at a moment's notice. The regular television really is taking a back seat. Yeah, you just uh, go to Yelp and get a re- restaurant review. Yeah, right. But, you know, that used to be a big thing 20 years ago. Hey, Reed Duffy would be in for the, uh, don't want to miss this. People be glued to the TV to watch it. But and that doesn't happen too often anymore, I don't think. I don't know. No, I don't. Th- I don't see much of that at all. I think that you're right. Most of that stuff is gravitated over to social media and the internet and that kind of thing. A, a vanishing profession. Uh, um, final sports qu- announcers are next. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like at some point though, they're not going to have robots calling games. No, no, no. Speaking of calling games, I was I got a little I got a little fix of uh, Musburger. I was watching Hard Knocks last night with the Raiders, and they had some some Musburger calls in there. So I have I've got my Musburger fix, and it, it's only made me want more. I still miss him calling <laughs> oh, college yeah. football. Final well, question. I never like I never liked the guy when he worked, and now I like him a lot just based on you. Yeah, yeah. So, I've, I've converted you. Yeah. Final question here on the final floor for uh, Micah Shrewsbury and uh, Micah. What is something that no one or very few people know about you? A little known fact. Little known fact. Um, let's see. I'm pretty boring, man. No people one... understand that. Like he's pretty boring and he's filthy rich. <laughs> There, there, there's something. There's usually things I can think of. Like, there's usually something I can think of with a person, and I'll be like, "Well, this is pretty cool about him." But you know, other than you're my next door neighbor now, I'm not sure there is any little known fact. I am not cool at all, man. Um, you're saying that if someone says, "What's cool?" You don't say the answer is Micah. <laughs> That'll never that, that it just didn't you know, it just didn't if you had said the clues, like that sounded good, like Micah. <laughs> well we'll we'll think we'll get to, to the bottom of this. I mean, as now that you're back and we can dig a little deeper. I just don't want you guys to know my little known fact. <laughs> One. There's probably one fact. You've got four children. You've got a busy household. I know that. I have a busy household, and I spend my days, when I'm not coaching basketball, driving like I'm an Uber driver. Well, that is a true story because uh, when you first moved in earlier in the summer, you would be out, you'd be back out of the driveway heading somewhere, and I would get panicked because I would think, are we supposed to be do we have a meeting or something that I didn't think of and then you'd come back and be out again come back and be out again like and every time it took me about three or four days to stop like panicking because I thought I was going to miss something that I didn't know about to then realize like you were running your kids all over town to different camps and practices and things like that so. and I have a lot of kids that's a lot of running yeah <laughs> yes 
All right. Well, that was uh, that'll wrap it up here. Episode fifty-seven on the podcast with uh, our uh, assistant coach Micah Shrewsbury, and again, Micah, welcome back, and uh, thanks so much for taking time to join Larry and I. Well, anytime. I'm glad you guys had me on. Um, I've jumped ahead of a few people, so after the my final four questions, I will be back on two hundred and fifty-seven <laughs> next time. <laughs> I think we're thinking about one of the things we I'm thinking about doing is maybe uh, when Cliz gets back to town, maybe we have the whole staff on for a show and just kind of preview the upcoming season. So maybe maybe we'll That'd get be you, cool. May I maybe get you back in that realm? So nice. Would I be the first two time? No, we've well, Coach Painter's been on multiple times. You might, might be the first two time guy. We try to we try to spread it out. So <laughs> we've got a lot long list of people. I've got my list right here that. Sylvia's handed to me that a lot of the guests that we're trying to line up. So we'll uh, we'll keep that list going, and uh, we'll see you in a couple hundred episodes. So <laughs> that'll do it here, episode fifty-seven on the Boiler Ball Podcast. Want to again thank everybody for listening, and until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Mm-hmm.